What's going on, everybody? And welcome to another edition of the weekly walk-off on the Did You Hear podcast, part of the Blue Wire Hustle podcast network. I'm Emma Houghton. He's Pat Zangd. And we are joined by a very special guest today, Josh Nelson of the Sox Machine podcast on Blue Wire. Josh, thanks so much for being here. How are you doing? Emma, Pat, thank you guys so much for having me on. Uh, exciting time as uh, we are almost done with August and finally into September. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, August welcome. 27th when this drops, the summer flew by, already getting close to fall baseball, which means some good times are upon us. Pat and I are psyched about it. As we I would say, well, good times clear. for some of us, like Josh. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Not great times true. for our teams right now. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get right into it. Josh, I have Pat and I both have some pretty specific questions about this White Sox team. Um, I can't remember if I mentioned to you every every Friday, every once in a while, we try and have a team specific person on. So we've had somebody from the Blue Jays, the Reds. As we go on this playoff push, we want to talk about the competing teams. White Sox is obviously one of the first teams that come to mind. Has this team met your expectations this year? Generally, how are you feeling have they done better? Have they done worse? Where are you at with this team as we turn the page on August and get into the fall? That's such a great question. Uh, what has been unexpected in the 2021 season is how terrible the Minnesota Twins were. The expectation was that the Chicago White Sox and Minnesota Twins were to go toe-to-toe this year. And we were all hoping, kind of wishing for that to rekindle a rivalry of two fan bases that just straight up do not like each other. And uh, I think that's something that a lot of people around baseball don't know is just how heated that rivalry is between the white Sox and twins and the twins got bad and they got bad fast. And when the twins got bad and Cleveland, which we've always thought was a 500 team, Really scary starting pitching, but the offense is just not there enough to support Jose Ramirez. Uh, When the Twins collapsed and the White Sox continued to play pretty good baseball and they built up to a 10-game lead in the American League Central as we speak in late August, uh, yeah, you got to feel great as a White Sox fan. But they just came off a 14-game stretch against the Yankees and the Rays and the Athletics and the Blue Jays which tells us more about what this White Sox team can do in October. Unfortunately, the games against the Twins, Royals, Cleveland, and the Detroit Tigers, they don't tell us much about this White Sox team because those four teams are not very good. And that's kind of the unfortunate thing is that as you guys speak to other folks around the league, like the American League East, as you guys know very well, incredibly tough division. National League East has been very competitive. The National League West has been a crazy roller coaster that it's it's really hard to know just how good the teams are in the Central. And I'll also loop the Milwaukee Brewers in into this conversation with the White Sox. I think we're getting a better understanding in the last couple of months, especially since the trade deadline is after everybody's made their moves. But as far as expectations, yeah, the White Sox are meeting the expectations because I thought they could win the American League Central. But I didn't think they would clinch the American League Central in mid-September, which is what they're currently pacing to do. And that's part of how well they played, but it's a bigger part on how poorly the rest of the teams in the Central have played. 
That's really well put. I had the twins yeah. winning the central this year. I thought it was going to be one of the best races and it doesn't, it didn't seem like they were ever good. They fell off the cliff no. so quickly. It was so insane to watch. Byron Buxton tried to win them games by himself in April, Damn. but otherwise there hasn't been much from Minnesota. Uh, I, I love the answer you gave there, Josh. And so saying that the, the White Sox have, have met expectations this year, I think is completely fair with, with what people were thinking going into the season. Saying that though, what has been the biggest surprise for you of this White Sox team thus far? It's been the starting pitching because in the preseason during uh, spring training, we were talking about the strength of the Chicago White Sox in 2021 was going to be the offense. One of the league leaders last year as a team in hitting home runs, having Tim Anderson, Yoan Makata, Jose Abreu, Yasmani Grandal, Loy Jimenez, Luis Robert. This team's going to hit 200 plus home runs. They got a chance to score 900 runs. They got an outside chance of scoring a thousand runs. They, they are projected to be one of the best offenses in franchise history. Then Aloy Jimenez, Vince Carter, the left field wall in spring <laughs> training and tore his pack. Luis Robert uh, ripped up his hip flexor uh, running down the first baseline. And then it was just injuries galore in the position player front for the White Sox. In the first half of the season, it was like every two weeks, there was this major significant injury to the position player front. We thought that the weakness of the White Sox was going to be the starting pitching. There was a lot of confidence in Lance Lynn being the big trade acquisition in the offseason, pairing up with Lucas Giolito and Dallas Keiko, who both threw really well in 2020. But there was a lot of question marks and concerns about Dylan Cease and Carlos Serdan, we didn't think he was an inspiring, uh, as far as signing, the White Sox actually non-tendered Carlos Rodon because in 2020, he cost him the American League Central with his outing in Cleveland. He couldn't get anyone out. And then in game three of the postseason against Oakland, he had the lead and he couldn't get anyone out. And the White Sox ended up losing that game. They non-tender him because uh, they, they want to make improvements. And then here we go a week before spring training and they re-sign him for like $3 million dollars and nobody else in Major League Baseball wanted Carlos Rodon. The other 29 teams had an opportunity to sign him. They didn't. Carlos Rodon is a front runner to win the American League Cy Young this year. Yeah, definitely. Dylan Cease has increased his strikeout rate by 13%. Jeez. He has one of the top, uh, one of the highest strikeout rates in the American League and in Major League Baseball. The White Sox, one through five in their starting rotation is one of the strongest rotations in all of Major League Baseball, right up there with the Milwaukee Brewers. And now we go from saying Dallas Keuchel's the White Sox number two starter in 2020 to Dallas Keuchel's now the number five starter for the 2021 Chicago White Sox because Giolito, Lynn, Cease, and Rodon are all throwing better than Keuchel. And now Keuchel may not get a start. He may not even be on the active roster for the American League Divisional Series of just how well this starting rotation has been throwing. And because of that starting rotation, the White Sox were able to survive the significant injuries to the position player front. And while everybody else is collapsing in the American League Central, the White Sox were able to take over the division and have not relinquished as far as this cushion that they have built for themselves because you have confidence that every single night, whoever has the ball, the White Sox are going to get a strong start from their starting pitcher for at least five innings, if not six or seven innings. And that makes it really tough for opposing teams. 
I'm I'm smiling because you're also setting up one of my future questions already with, with your response you're giving. And as you say, you go through all of those starting options with Garrett Crochet and Kopech as well being used out of the bullpen, not even in the rotation where they could also be stretched out. It's pretty remarkable what the White Sox have been able to do pitching-wise this year. I was going to use Pat's new favorite word, remarkable, to describe it. I and when you talk about do flyer it. deals this offseason – one-year deals, Marcus Semien comes to mind, and now yeah. Carlos Rodon comes to mind. How much money is Carlos Rodon going to make next year? Best $3 million the White Sox have ever spent this, this past offseason. Oh, easily. Uh, Robbie Ray was mm. the first free agent signing last offseason. Yep. He signed a one-year $8 million yep. deal. Robbie Ray and Carlos Rodon are not signing one-year deals this <laughs> upcoming offseason. Uh, both of them have made themselves significant money, and this has been – this has been an ongoing question I've been receiving since June about Carlos Rodon's you know, future with the Chicago White Sox. I, I figured that Lance Lynn was going to be the easier target of the two to sign to a new contract. And the White Sox were able to do that. They got Lance Lynn for three years, $60 million. I thought that was a very fair contract. That is a big pay boost for Lance Lynn, who's one of the more uh, underpaid starting pitchers in all of major league baseball. Mm -hmm. He's making $8 million this year for how he's pitching. Uh, and the White Sox were able to lock him in. The, the biggest thing with Carlos Rodon is that he is a Scott Boris client. And right there invites a lot of questions yes. and a lot of debates on what could possibly happen. And some White Sox fans are saying that, well, he's not coming back to Chicago because he's a Boris client. But I would counter and say, Boris, if his client wants to stay with the team, We'll find a way like Steven Strasburg. Strasburg did not want to leave Washington. Boris found a way for Strasburg to stay in Washington to make sure that Strasburg got the money that he wanted and he got to stay in that situation. So if Carlos Rodon really wants to stay on the South side. I think Boris will try every avenue to make that happen. The question for the White Sox, a team that's never signed uh, a free agent or even one of their own players to a hundred plus million dollar contract. Are they willing to agree to the number of years and cash to keep Carlos Rodon yeah. or because they've known him for so long, they look at this season and say, man, you weren't good in 2017, 2018, 2019, 2020. Now you're really good. And now you want this four-year contract. Mm. I'm not sure about that. So it, it'll be interesting. I expect the White Sox to place the qualifying yes, offer. Definitely. Uh, on Rodon, uh, but I expect Rodon to decline that offer, and then it'll probably be the highest bidder on who wants Carlos Rodon's services. Yeah, I mean, you talk about coming away with a bigger deal, too. Ray or Rodon could come away with the AL Cy Young. They could. One of those guys yeah. could come away with some hardware. So the strength of the starting rotation has been so evident. The power from the offense, I'm going to get into that, but first I want to ask you about the bullpen. Because this has been what's struggling of late. And at the deadline, you would have thought that would probably be on the last list of things that we would be talking about at this point. Yeah, the, the bridge, yeah, the bridge to Liam Hendricks. Right. That's what exactly we, what I was going to ask. Yep. We, we were we've been talking about this for months. And when the White Sox acquired Craig Kimbrell, we all thought the bridge has been repaired. It is August 26th. And we are still asking questions on what are the White Sox doing in the eighth inning? It's still not clear a month after the trade deadline, 
after the White Sox acquired Ryan Tapera and Craig Kimbrell from the Chicago Cubs. And that's the weak, weak spot for the White Sox right now. The seventh and eighth inning is the danger zone. I recently posted on our site, SoxMachine.com, how the White Sox fare as far as runs scored and runs allowed, their average runs scored and average runs allowed per inning. And when you look at the line graph, the White Sox are dominating the very first five innings. The the offense is well-prepared against the starting pitchers, especially the second time and third time through the order. Uh, They're taking advantage of those opportunities. And thanks to the strength of the White Sox starting pitching, uh, team posing teams are having a tough time scoring the first five innings. Then it changes after the sixth inning where the White Sox have a negative run differential innings through seven through nine, because the bullpen is not as strong as the starting pitching and the White Sox offense is really struggling against opposing teams relievers. That's a bad combination in trying Mm -hmm. to close out games. And that's what scares White Sox fans heading into October is that we're going to have the White Sox are going to have these leads. We're going to be watching these leads. Can the White Sox hold on to the leads? It's like you're on the very last leg of this roller coaster. And it almost feels like, am I going to have a heart attack in October uh, trying to watch this team to get the ball to Liam Hendricks to close (laughs) it out? I think in this upcoming month, Emma, the White Sox are going to try different strategies on how to close out games. We saw on Thursday, Craig Kimbrell closed out the game and got the save and not Liam Hendricks. There has been some conversations about using Liam Hendricks, like the Milwaukee Brewers have used Josh Hader, Mm. how Cleveland used Andrew Miller in 2016 uh, in this relief ace Somebody that can get more than three outs, someone that you can hand the ball in to the seventh inning and gets you through the eighth. And then that they give them to the closer who you're only confident could throw one inning. And when the postseason comes, it wouldn't shock me if a White Sox starter were to get into the seventh inning, but if they walked or allowed a hit to someone, the first guy out of the bullpen is Liam Hendricks. And Liam Hendricks is going to go as far as he possibly can before he hands off the ball to Craig Kimbrell, who seems to be more comfortable pitching the ninth inning because, mm. let's face it, he's a diva. Uh, and it's a whole psychological <laughs> thing with him right now because uh, he has not been good in the eighth inning for the White Sox since the trade. So it's, I wish I had a clear cut answer for you on what is the solution for the White Sox in the eighth inning. But all I can say, Emma, is that that's the White Sox danger zone right now. If you're going to get the White Sox, if you're going to beat them, you're going to beat them in the seventh and eighth inning. Mm. Yeah. And it's such a painful position to be in because, like you said, as a fan, you're watching them build up this lead to use it. And I think your thoughts on the closer are excellent. I can see the closer role shifting, transforming to that way anyway. I mean, the Red Sox have the, the, the same problem the most effective relief pitcher on the Red Sox roster is Garrett Whitlock. And you will see him more often in the sixth inning than you will in the ninth inning, probably throughout his career. I think there's no problem with putting high leverage pitchers in high leverage situations so that they can get the outs that matter. And then you put less stress on the ninth inning. I think it's kind of a chicken in the egg thing. You can make the ninth inning more important. You can also save the game in the seventh or the eighth and put a guy there if he's your best guy. Yeah, the ninth inning is not always the highest leverage situation. Nope. Exactly. Uh, it's taking it's taking teams a long time to figure that out. Uh, yeah. But the but the contenders this year, 
I think they understand that better than most. You cannot wait to use your best reliever in the ninth inning. You need to get rid of the old way because if it's the heart of the lineup, three, four, and five in the eighth inning, if you're going up against the New York Yankees and you're seeing Judge and Stan and Voight coming up, you want your best reliever to go against those guys. You do not want to use your third best reliever because you want to be stuck in your old ways Mm -hmm. and hope that your third best guy can get through the heart of the lineup and your closer could easily save out, could easily save the game. It just doesn't work that way anymore in the postseason. No, I, I, this is music to my ears because I'm a huge proponent of bringing in your best reliever for high leverage situations and figure it out later. There are too many teams play it out, try to play the perfect cards and it just, it's not how things work, but that that's awesome on the, on the pitching side. I am interested in the offense. We know how, you know, potent that this White Sox offense can be interestingly enough, especially thinking about the game today, we know about power. The White Sox are 20th in home runs, which I think is a number that really jumps out to you that you wouldn't expect. How is this offense so strong this year? even though the home run ball hasn't been what I think a lot of us thought it would be for the, for the Sox. Yeah. The good news is, is that they were 25th in baseball. And then Aloy Jimenez returned on July 30th and the white Sox since Aloy Jimenez has returned and Luis Robert has returned. They are tied with the Tampa Bay Rays for the lead in the American league for most home run sets. So the easy answer is injuries. The injuries mm-hmm. have hurt the white Sox in the home run department. However, Home runs are so important in the postseason. We cannot stress enough how important home runs are in the postseason because now you're facing the best of the best on the pitching front. And it's so hard to string three hits in an inning against the Walker Buehlers, the Nathan Eovaldis. If the Mets make it, who's getting three hits in an inning off Jacob deGrom? you got to go big. Well, you got to go home. And I know that there's so many fans that complain like, oh, this style of baseball is terrible. Well, when you grew up, 90 miles per hour was really fast. <laughs> there are guys who throw 90 mile per hour change ups. Uh, the spin rate, the, the velocity mm-hmm. is just incredibly high and it gets taken to an, another level in the postseason. So hitters have to make an adjustment. You are looking for that one pitch you're going to get in the at-bat where you can put everything together in your swing and you can maximize the exit velocity when you make contact. For the White Sox this season, what we are concerned about watching them is the ground ball rate. Mm. The Chicago White Sox are second. They have the second highest ground ball rate in the majors. That's not a good formula of success when you get into the postseason. Uh, They're at 46.6% for a ground ball rate. What's interesting for the White Sox is fly ball to home run rate. So this is the percentage of your fly balls that become home runs. The White Sox are seventh in baseball. So if you follow me on Twitter, which I'm at Sox Machine underscore Josh, you will frequently see me tweet ball in air. Put the ball in the air. This White Sox team is so strong. They're so strong, but they hit so many ground balls. And we saw it against the Blue Jays uh, where they hit four home runs because they were trying to focus on pitches against Hinjin Ryu, who's a very good pitcher. What pitches they can drive in the air. Far too many times the White Sox just get in these bad habits that they can make contact on this pitch. So I'm going to swing at it. 
That's the wrong mentality because that's how you get into ground balls because mm-hmm. you're hitting the pitches that the pitchers want you to hit. And when they focus though, and they have a good game plan on a starting pitcher, especially early in the game where they are focusing on the pitches that they can drive in the air, that's where you see them hit multiple home runs in a game. The Chicago White Sox this season are 33 and five when they hit two plus home runs in a game. And for Major League Baseball, for those that are listening, they're like, home runs are not that important. When a team doesn't hit a home run in this season, their winning percentage is 295. That is a 47 Pretty win stark. pace in a 162 game season. It's lower than the, worse Orioles. than the Orioles. Yeah, we both said it lower than the Orioles. <laughs> you, you are having the number one pick in the 2022 Major League Baseball draft yeah. with that win percentage. Home runs are so important. So in this last month, with the team getting close to full strength, if Yasmani Grandal returns this weekend against the Chicago Cubs, the White Sox will finally have their opening day roster. They have yet to have their opening day lineup together once this season. When Grandal returns, they'll finally have it. And if they can focus on putting the ball in the air and generating more fly balls, this offense is very dangerous. But if you can keep them hitting hitting grounders, you can shut them down. And that's what we saw over the last 14 games in these series against the Yankees, Rays, Athletics, and Blue Jays. Keep the White Sox on the ground. They can't hurt you. But if they hit fly balls, it's going to be a rough day. Yeah, that's so interesting. My biggest takeaway from what you just said, too, is how are the White Sox in this position based on how hurt they've been? How do they have a 10-game lead in the Central? I have a little bit of a game for you, Josh. I have five scenarios about the White Sox offense, and I want you to rank them for me in terms of how concerned you are about each one. And the 10-run output today put things in a little different perspective, but we'll, we'll roll with it. So – the first scenario or the first idea is that the White Sox are 11 and 32 when they don't hit a home run going right off what you just said. The second, the Sox are 52 and 29 against sub 500 teams and 22 and 26 against winning teams. Their last seven games. This is the third scenario. Last seven games against the Rays and Toronto, their run totals ends really well, starts really well and ends really well. Seven, four, zero, one, five, three, and 10. Fourth scenario, the lack of strength slash elite talent from the left side. And then the fifth would be general health. How concerned are you about, at this point, Tim Anderson's leg soreness and how that's going to impact the team in the future? I don't know how much time you've got, Patrick, because (laughs) point number four has been this thing we've been talking about for the White Sox is lack of left-handed power. Uh, And we're still talking about it. We've been podcasting for eight seasons. And sure enough, we have been talking about the lack of left-handed power for eight seasons. Man. Uh, So four is a sore spot when it comes to the White Sox. And we'll (laughs) we'll continue to talk about the lack of left-handed power. I think for me, it's it's definitely number one and how stark it Mm. is for that win-loss record for the White Sox. And and again, it, it makes sense because when the White Sox are not hitting for power, and they're not hitting home runs, and they're not hitting fly balls, 47% of the time they're hitting grounders. And there are times that we have seen the White Sox string three hits in a row. We've also seen them get a leadoff single and then hit into a double play. They are one of the league leaders in double plays this season. 
ground balls are not your friend. And the White Sox also don't run. They got guys who got mm. speed, but they're not running because of the injury risk, because a lot of these guys have soft tissue issue uh, injuries this season. They don't want somebody to pull a hamstring now, and then they could be possibly missing some postseason games. So they're not taking that risk. Uh, and the White Sox have stopped walking, but I think a big part of their walk rate was because Yasmani Grandal is the walk god yes. of Major League Baseball. Uh, and once he's back in the lineup, that that will that would fix issues. But like the, the, the sub 500 teams thing uh, for the White Sox at 52 and 29, it, I'm not trying to be defensive, but yeah, the first thing I'll tell anyone, and like I started with this podcast, is the White Sox are in this position because the American League Central is not good. And a bit of that is surprising. Like we were expecting the Minnesota twins to be good and they are not good this year. Uh, and that really, you know, it just takes a big dive uh, and they're facing the American league central, this, uh, the national league central, I should say in interleague play, like the Chicago Cubs had their fire sale before the white Sox played at Wrigley. And we did even recognize half the guys in the Cubs lineup after all their trades. And they're coming to the South side this weekend and expecting the white Sox to sweep the Cubs and the White Sox took advantage against in their series against the Cardinals. And they're going to be playing against the Pirates, who are not very good. And the National League Central is pretty much only two good teams in the Milwaukee Brewers and the Cincinnati yep. Reds. So Midwest baseball, you got 10 teams, three teams are good. Uh, so it's kind of the same situation. And it's a, it's a question that's frequently to the, the Milwaukee Brewers. But the last seven games ties into point number one, Emma, if the White Sox put the ball in the seats, they can put up big runs. When they don't, that's where you see them get shot out, and that's when you see them score one run. And that's the concern in the postseason. Can this White Sox offense support the starting pitching? Because in this past series against the Blue Jays, Lance Lynn, Dylan Cease, Lucas Giolito combined for 20 innings pitched, and they held that Blue Jays lineup to three earned runs. Mm, and huge. I, I think they can do that in the postseason, but poor Giolito and Lynn, they got one run of support, mm. three earned runs in 20 innings against that Toronto Blue Jays lineup and the White Sox lost two out of three games. So that's the biggest concern is number one, this team has to score. They score at their best when they're hitting home runs, they go hand in hand and they got to put the ball in the air and keep it off the ground. Yeah. And to give them credit, the Padres had the quote unquote easy schedule and they didn't beat the bad teams. So yeah, for a true. good team to be beating the bad teams is not something that I think anybody should be defensive about, like you said. Yeah. yeah. Uh, just let me know when that uh, managerial position opens for the San Diego Padres <laughs> after the season. I will get my uh, I'll get my LinkedIn resume ready to go. <laughs> I love it. And uh, thank you, by the way, for throwing me a bone with the, if the Mets make it Jacob deGrom, I really appreciated that. <laughs> I think we know where that's headed, but I have one more question for you. And I think Emma has one more question for you. You were talking about the pitching before, and that's why I, I was laughing. Um, so we talk about the pitching depth for the White Sox going into that uh, ALDS. How would you set your playoff rotation? That's a very good question. I think right now I would go Lance Lynn game one. Yep. I agree. Uh, game two, I think I would try to be cute. I would go with Dylan Cease mm. only because game two is not an elimination game. Yep. And there are folks that are like, well, I would have Cease 
pitch game three or four because I don't trust him in game two. Well, game three or four could be an elimination game. Do you trust sure. Dylan Cease in elimination game? No. Okay. Well, that's why I'm saying game two because <laughs> the White Sox can't lose the series if you don't trust Dylan Cease in game two. And if the White Sox can find a way where they get the number two seed and they're hosting that American League Divisional Series, Go ahead and check the home and away splits for Dylan Cease. They are huge. He pitches so much better at home than he does on the road. Uh, so if the White Sox are at home, I would go Lynn game one. I would go Cease game two. I would go Giolito game three. And that shocks a lot of people because we just raved about Carlos Rodon. If there is an opportunity the White Sox can sweep and I can give Carlos Rodon another week off and rest his shoulder and give him the ball game one of the American League Championship Series, that is a huge advantage because then it's Rodon, it's Lynn, and then you can reset your rotation. If you want Giolito game three, you can have him game three, and then you have Cisa game four. You could really stack your starting rotation for the American League Championship Series. So that's, I think that's the strategy I would take. I, I would go cute, which is surprising for White Sox fans to hear. I would go Lynn game one, Cease game two, Giolito game three, and then... If I need Rodon in game four, I got Rodon. And then if I need Lynn in game five, yeah, exactly. I got I'm Lynn. Back for five. I, I like it. A, I like that you're looking ahead because I also have a lot of faith in this White Sox team to be able to get to the championship series. And I mean, I think Cease's deserved a playoff start from what we've seen this year. We know how good the rest of that White Sox rotation is, but I if game two makes sense, as you said, not being an elimination game. Yeah, and the White Sox are probably going to be facing who wins the American League West. Mm-hmm. The Astros and the Athletics know Dallas Keuchel extremely well. Yes. That's a good point. And they, point. they have beat up Keuchel. So, yeah, I, I'm hesitant to use Keuchel in the postseason. I would be too. Yeah. I mean, the fact, the fact that you have that much flexibility is a luxury. Yeah. Too. And yes. then you hope, you hope that a guy like Bummer steps up and turns things around and Hedricks and Kemble, the whole, the whole crew. My last question for you. How have you, how do you sum up Tony LaRusse's first year in Chicago? <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. Well, it was off to a terrible start mm. because, <laughs> uh, man, Rick Hahn did not do a very good job selling the hire of Tony LaRusso. No. Everybody felt, and even Jeff Passan wrote about an ESPN and the announcement of the hire that. It was divided within the White Sox organization mm-hmm. and the White Sox front office. Then a month ha- happened and the news leaked that Tony La Russa was arrested for driving under the influence. And of course there's video and of course there's photos. And of course there's a quote. I'm a yeah, hall of famer person. Yeah. The yeah. quote was bad. <laughs> uh, my dad died in a drinking and driving accident when I was six years old. So that was a very touchy subject for me. And I was definitely on the bandwagon of the White Sox have to fire Tony LaRusso. Mm. Uh, LaRusso is very good friends with Jerry Reinsdorf. Yep. So that obviously didn't happen. But the White Sox made this empty threat in December that if it does happen again, he is not going to be managing the Chicago White Sox. And then spring training came along and you were hearing that things were going well and that he was meshing and reaching out to Tim Anderson to, to build that relationship, to cultivate the clubhouse. Cause there was a lot of questions on how is this 76 year old guy who hasn't managed since 2011 going to get along with the white Sox clubhouse. Mm-hmm. 
April came along and a lot of the decisions that Tony the Russo was making was trying to understand what he has. So there was some bad decisions made in April. In the month of May, you had the embarrassment in Cincinnati where Liam Hendricks is running the bases in extra innings because Tony La Russa doesn't know how the rules work in extra innings. Uh, So that was a whole fiasco. But then June came along and then July came along and it seemed like all of the distractions, and I haven't even mentioned the whole Yearman Mercedes episode uh, that everybody loves to talk about when it comes to the White Sox this year. All of a sudden, things started to gel. And even though there were all these injuries happening, the White Sox were not collapsing. And that's kind of where the benefit of having somebody like Tony DeRusso, who has all this experience, can be someone, a voice of reason, a voice of calm when things get stressful and things can be a little bit dire. When you see Nick Magical having to be carried off and then learn that he's out for the rest of the season and Luis Robert in pain. And it's like every other week, somebody's getting hurt. The White Sox brought in all these new faces, Mercedes, Brian Goodwin, Billy Hamilton, Gavin Sheets, and Jake Berger. And Larusa did an excellent job in giving these new faces the confidence and the vote of confidence, even having them bat second some nights to say, we think you belong. Don't think that you're just lucky to be here. You got to help us out. And the White Sox in those you know, dire months with all these injuries in May, June, and early July, they were getting out of the world performances from these guys for a couple of weeks. And then they faded, but at least they got two good weeks out of these guys uh, to stem the time until these injuries started to heal up and the, the, the core guys were returning to the lineup. So Larusa has done a very good job through the summer, but we are now getting into the nitty gritty where the managers start making the big bucks and he's got to figure out on how he wants to handle the seventh and eighth inning because the Chicago White Sox fired Rick Renteria for his inability to manage a bullpen and cost him last year in the postseason against Oakland. If Larusa mishandles the bullpen and his decisions blow up his, in his face during the postseason late inning situations, it's going to be very difficult questions for the White Sox to answer. You fired Renteria for these mistakes. How are you going to stand by Larusa if he makes the same mistakes? And we'll we'll find out what those answers are. But Larusa has so much postseason experience. He's right up. You know, Dusty Dusty Baker has a lot too, and that could be the divisional series. Larusa against Baker. So much managerial experience against each other that you have to feel a lot more confident as a White Sox fan having La Russa in that situation now than somebody like Rick Renteria last year. But it started off very, very poorly, but it has gone better over time. Yeah, I think that's extremely well put. When yeah. we're not talking about Tony La Russa, I think it's a good sign. And you're right, yes. as in... <laughs> hopefully now he's remembering the, the runaround second rule. And wasn't there something about... Like, didn't he walk, intentionally walk somebody who's not good anymore and we were in a different time zone? Was it Pujols? He intentionally walked Pujols and everybody was like, hey, Tony, it's not. Oh, yes, yes. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yes, that was the beginning part of the season. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yep. That was not. Yeah, that was. 
Yeah, that was some of the early decision making. And if you do look at the expected win loss record for the White Sox, which takes in consideration a run differential, the White Sox expected win loss record is 78 and 51 as we are recording this. Their actual win loss record is 74 and 55. Mm. You can make the argument that the White Sox are underachieving a little bit. And it is because of those decisions made in April and May. We were very concerned in April and May that that would bite the White Sox in the butt come August and September. But again, the Minnesota Twins fell off the face of the earth. The rest of the teams in the American League Central are not good. So those mistakes did not end up hurting the White Sox. Yeah, yeah. no, it, that's it's so true. So, Josh, we want to thank you so much for coming on here. Where can people find you with the website, podcast, Twitter? Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Sox Machine underscore Josh. You can read and listen and watch our work at Sox Machine Dot com And of course, being part of the Blue Wire podcast network like you guys as well, you can find the Socks Machine podcast wherever you subscribe to podcasts. Awesome. Thank oh, you, Josh. Beautiful. Rooting yeah. for the White Sox. Hope they do well. Should, should be an exciting fall on the South Side, or excuse me, uh, in, in Chicago. I'm very, very excited to see everything play out. But all right, that'll do it for us here on the Did You Hear podcast weekly walk-off edition. Be sure to follow us on uh, Twitter and Instagram at Did You Hear Pod. Subscribe to the show on iTunes. Leave a rating as well. We are bat flipping into the weekend. Emma, Josh, that's a wrap. <laughs> <laughs>